Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli, a look inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope it is treating you well. It is currently snowing giant snowflakes here in Denver, and it's beautiful. I am been working on this podcast and I'm kind of loving seeing the snowflakes fall down and just the beauty of it all. So um, appreciating that and being grateful for my ability to see that because some people don't ever see snow or haven't seen snow. So I tell you guys to use gratitude every day. So I am practicing that as well. And I'm grateful for the snow. I I'm excited to bring you today's guest because it is someone that I've known for a really long time and she is so smart and she's so kind and she really is making a a difference in a lot of athletes' lives. I have Dr. Tiff Jones on the podcast today and we talk about a whole slew of things from how getting a book from her dad sparked her love for psychology And it was a book by Dr. Shane Murphy, and she has a really cool story about him in the podcast. We then go straight into some of the questions I had for her, like returning to sport. And one of the main topics that we hit on is why education is so important in the injury recovery process. And that can include the chemical withdrawal that you go through post-injury, why words matter, and how she's pup list to help people and the reaction that you have instead of using injured players and then we have a really real conversation about alcohol and how it can affect your recovery and how I think it impacted mine we also dive into a little bit about pressure and someone some good ways to deal with pressure that not only we put on ourselves but the pressure that we sometimes feel externally how you can stay engaged in your sport and how that helps you in the recovery process and why she doesn't like the word potential. That's a long intro because there's so many good things. I had a lot written down and I'm excited for you guys to hear what Dr. Tiff Jones has to say. So here she is and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I am joined today by Tiff Jones and Tiff, we met a few years ago when I was playing with the Boston Breakers and um, I feel like it's one of those things where I, I felt like I knew you for a long time like I felt like I knew you way back in like national team days when I was a youth player um, but you just have that presence you've been around soccer um, the soccer US national teams for for a long time and know a lot of players there but um, your specialty is really just the the psychology behind um, sports performance and getting athletes to perform at their best. Is that the best way to say it? Yes. So I'm a sport and performance psychology consultant. So I am not a licensed therapist, though I think therapy is fantastic for those that need it. We probably all need it. Um, But I decided I wanted to not dive into the DSM-5 diagnoses like eating disorders or um, anxiety, uh, but wanted to really dive into you know, the performance end of things. So the combo of X science and psychology. Mm -hmm. And how did you find out that that's what you wanted to do? What was your, were you an athlete growing up? Kind of, how did you get into this idea that, okay, maybe this would be a fun thing to kind of go and tackle? (laughs) 
So unlike yourself, uh, I, I knew I was never going to be able to go uh, to the places that you were able to go, Jordan. I just knew that you know, I think there's one fast twitch muscle fiber between my entire family members. Um, and so I played soccer growing up and I was a swimmer and played basketball and softball and a bunch of different sports. Um, I just knew even if it was just genetically that I was never going to play on the national team or play professional at pretty much any sport. Um, but in high school, uh, my dad actually had gotten me a book on sports psychology from this gentleman called Dr. Shane Murphy. He actually had grown up in Connecticut where I had grown up. And back in the day when there was no internet, he actually had his phone number on the book. So I called him and talked to him and Whoa. asked him what it was all about. And so sophomore year in high school, I actually knew what I wanted to do with my life. So I'm one of those kind of freaks of nature that knew in, in high school and actually went and got my PhD in sports psych and here, here we go. So do you remember that phone call? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I actually made the phone call, uh, while I was working <laughs> at, at, the, at the state, uh, I worked for the speaker of the house at the state of Connecticut. Um, and I was sitting in the legislative office building and I was on break and I made the call from there. So I knew that the, the phone call would be nice and clear. And he was awesome and was really supportive and, uh, had given me tips on where to go to study and what I needed to do and how to study what I needed to get done. And yeah, it was kind of, it was crazy. I was nervous yeah. for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's that is so it's cool though just the um the access that you have to people and I think we have that in a different way like it's not really call on the phone but like email I know a lot of people like you can email them and you'll get a response like they're they're pretty good at getting back to you but what a cool turning point in your life and um you mentioned it was a little bit of schooling. <laughs> it was a bit of schooling, but not as much as like the MD doctors. That's why I don't need anyone to call me a doctor doctor because <laughs> Um, and that's, I'm not conducting brain surgery or anything. And I didn't right. have to go to school for like 20 years. I only had to go to school for an extra five. Yeah. So, and you work with a variety of athletes. Do you feel like your background growing up and playing all different sports kind of allowed you to understand that one of the commonalities is this mental side of sports? Yeah. Especially as a swimmer, I remember just getting so nervous. Um, before my swim meets. Um, soccer was a little different probably because I was built more for team sports and I could do it for my teammates where in individual sports it was harder to do it just for yourself. Um, and I just knew that it had so much to do with the mentality and then also kind of being a natural leader on my teams in high school. You kind of, you know, everyone would come to you and talk to you and you just realized how much of it was psychological or emotional. Um, it had so much less to do with what was actually, you know, the physical part of it. Um, so yeah, thanks to my own hot mess self, <laughs> it kind of gave me some insight. Yeah. Um, well, we, we've talked a little bit before, just you've helped me through a few different things, but you know, being in, I kind of want to dive straight into this and talk about, um, you're in a variety of sports. You help a variety of athletes, individual sport athletes, uh, team sport athletes, but no matter what it is, you know, if we play sports, we have the risk of getting injured. And what we're trying to really help people with is how can we get back from injury? How can we use what happened in our injury to allow us to, to use it as a platform to get back and to be better? Um, for you, are there common, let's stick to, you know, long-term, longer-term injuries, right? Like an ACL or, um, you know, even shoulders, sometimes shoulder labrum surgeries can be very long 
in those long-term injuries, do you often notice same, the, kind of the same things coming up for athletes? Absolutely, right away. And I, and I wish doctors and um, athletic trainers, not that they don't have this knowledge, but articulate it and, and communicate this with athletes and student athletes um, and pros across the board is you are going to go through a psychological withdrawal. Like I find that a lot of you, you're going to have to struggle with the fact that you don't get to play, which is just difficult in, in itself is wrapping your head around that. But the thing is, you're literally going through a chemical withdrawal. Um, there's so many articles that, that, that will say that um, playing sport, especially if it's your passion, um, the high you get is equivalent, if not greater, than if you do cocaine or heroin. And I'm not promoting cocaine or heroin to anybody, but it just, if we heard that a drug addict no longer had their drug of choice, we all know based on movies and what we see is that you go through a draw. So depression, you might start to get the sweats, you start to shake, you kind of feel like some people will say, I start, I'm starting to feel like I'm going crazy, um, I don't want to get out of bed. And the same thing happens when you take your sport away from you and you're not able to use your body and get that natural a chemical release in your brain. And, and so I think when you have that conversation with athletes who have just recently found out that they're going to be out for at least three weeks or longer, uh, that they think they're going crazy and they start to fight with the people that they love. Um, they might try to push people away cause they don't feel like themselves and, I'm like, listen, there's a lot of emotional stuff you're going to have to like deal with with this, but there is actually a chemical reason, um, hormonal reason why you're struggling. And so I think that you always see that <sighs> right? when, when you see that. They're like, I'm not crazy. I'm like, well, you know, you might why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's really interesting, and I'm kind of glad that we went to that right off the bat because I think that's one of the – I remember that thinking like – and just being like really – like my body felt like it just needed to move. And that's mm -hmm. probably a part of those chemicals where my body was just used to that every single day. Like we crave that in adrenaline. We crave the our blood flowing through our veins. So when we can't do that as athletes, it's very difficult to figure out like what can replace that. And maybe nothing can replace that. The only thing I would say, and, and, and I'd hate when you all wait until you get injured for us to have this conversation, right. is your identity cannot be in sport. Your identity has to be who you are, not what you do. And playing sport is what you do. And there can be a lot of things that who you are allow you to do what you do in sport. But your, if your identity is wrapped up in a sport, then it's you're one injury away from being like, now who am I? And now you're starting struggling with those questions and so I always want you to have an outside passion besides sport something that you can do that you don't need your body to do and you just need your brain and I love my student athletes or my athletes who are like well I'm really good at mountain biking I'm like okay well if you tore your ACL you're not going to be mountain biking so right. that is good, that's not a good replacement so tell me something else you might you know, what else are you good at? And it's starting to go down that line. It also will help when you get back because if you have a bad practice, it's just a bad practice. But if your identity is wrapped up in your sport, bad practice, bad human. And it's so much harder to then respond when you have a bad practice. So unfortunately, a lot of these conversations happen after an athlete gets injured. But if you can start preparing for this and understanding who you are beyond sport, it's going to help you through your um, rehabilitation and getting back to play. Yeah. And 
so we're talking now it's about three days post Super Bowl and mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read any of the if you if you've watched Zach Ertz or um, Nick Foles Nick Foles speech after you know his interview after the Super Bowl talking about um, just how he makes mistakes and things aren't perfect and um, what reminded me of that and I thought that he said that so beautifully is, is Zach Ertz was talking earlier in the week about how he was so high and low and high and low last year. And he really mm-hmm. leaned on um, Carson Wentz and now Nick Foles. And, and they found that their identity was not in football. And, and he, that's what Zach found in those people, that um, they had faith beyond um, the sport of who they were. And it's just very interesting that you say that because it is very hard as an athlete to think you're anything but an athlete. And, and that's why some of my faith-driven athletes are, are the most well-grounded and they do, they find, not that they don't struggle, mm-hmm. not that they don't feel pain. Um, I think Lauren Chaney, now Lauren Holiday is a great example. I remember, you know, meeting with her, with you at the Boston Breakers and that was something, was probably one of the first student athletes or uh, athletes I'd ever spoken to who was like, listen, I have a bad practice, it's a bad practice. But my my identity is in Christ, and I'm not pushing God on anybody. But I think, um, but finding your faith in something else, mm-hmm. it's really helpful in the sense of keeping you grounded, keeping perspective, allowing you to lean on something else, right. um, and or somebody else. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think you see that with the Eagles. I thought I thought it was pretty incredible and in how outspoken they were about that. And um, it's not it's not that's not a I'm just saying it because I'm supposed to say it kind right. of thing. You you could feel it from them yeah. and gives them a lot of perspective and keeps them grounded. And I think it's, um, I think it's interesting too, because I think as athletes, we get so, um, since it is such a physical, you know, what we're doing is so physical that you don't go to someone and be like, oh, they're an accountant. Like they're, that's not what defines them a lot of the times, you know? So I think um, to look at it that way, like, yes, you play a sport or yes, you are an accountant, but Um, even for me, I would write it down. Like when I felt like those moments, like, honestly, I had moments where I felt worthless. Like I was injured and everything I had done before was gone. And I would write down, okay, I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I, um, love kids. I love giving back, you know, things that were true to me that had nothing to do with being an athlete. Is that something that you like help people try to, or, or, or other things? Like, do you, do you teach them to find another hobby or something that can help them? Yeah. I always say, what do you, what else are you good at? And like, I think it's a struggle for athletes because again, they're so wrapped up. They, they, everything is why score goals or I say, I defend or I, I, I'm fast or I'm tall. And I'm like, okay, well, there's a lot of tall people <laughs> in the world who think that. So you being tall isn't the reason why you're good. So, but yeah, it's also about being kind and having your morals, ethics, and values because no one can ever take those from you. That is who you are, not what you do. And um, like you said, you were listing off also, I'm a, I love kids and I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. Well, you're also one of the kindest people on the planet, Jordan. Anyone would say that about you. And so like, those are the types of things I want to list because your kindness isn't going to go away, nor right. are we going to fit you differently if whether we don't care what you do, it's, it's who you are. It's your essence when we're around you. And so 
um, that's why it also goes back to just being a good human. And what does that mean? And, you know, pouring into others and, and giving back. I think a lot of times I talk to pro athletes, especially about starting a nonprofit um, or something that they're really passionate about, because that's something they could pour into when they're when they are hurt um, when, or when they're in the off season. So um, doing something where you're giving back to someone else. And yes, maybe your sport has given you a larger platform to do so, but why not? Why not have that? Because that's going to be everlasting. That could be right. when you're no longer here, that's something that continues to give back. Mm-hmm. So That's all. I, I love all that stuff. And I, I think one of the, you know, going back to being an injured athlete and those, those struggles, right? So you are you know, not only wrapping some, a lot of us wrap ourselves, our identity up in this idea that we're an athlete. Um, one of the other things that I've noticed a lot is, and felt it from myself and kind of when I was going through injuries is this idea of pressure and, um, you know, not only the pressure, I, I think there's two different types of pressure, right? Like the pressure I put on myself to be, what I would think would be perfect in this rehab process. And then the pressure that I would feel um, from my team, my coaches, my parents, my family um, to get back, even if that was perceived pressure for me. How do you, how do you deal with pressure? How do you help your athletes deal with these kinds of pressures? So if we do the internal pressure first, so much of it is, the person that you were before your injury, so to speak, you have to almost see as they're dead and gone because at the end of this, I think you're going to be better mm-hmm. if you take advantage of it. So that whole person you were before, they've died. They literally have died and gone away. And um, all I really want you to do is compare you to who you were the day before and really try to stay in the moment, which is really hard. But really you comparing yourself to who you were the day before or the week before as you're going through rehab or you return to play and compare yourself to that person. It's also remembering giving 100% of what you've got, but also listening to your body. So that internal pressure is, can I go harder? Your body is going to tell you. So if you go and you've been cleared to play and you're 100% physically, go. See what you can do. But your body's going to tell you the next day or right after. It's either going to swell up or it's going to, you know, there's a difference between being sore and feeling like someone's stabbing a knife into you. Uh And so some of it is you've got to look at yourself in the mirror and be good to yourself and be your own advocate. Um, to yourself because you're the only one that knows exactly how you feel like there's nothing I don't care if someone's been through the same exact injury as you've been through no one knows how you feel no one knows what your pain tolerance is and what your body is going through and so I think you have to be forgiving to yourself um, and and just you got to give a hundred what you've got and then see how your body responds to it Um, but sometimes your ability to go and the pressure is going to be uh, tempered because your body is going to be like "Mm -mm, I'm going to slow you down Um, I think taking care of yourself emotionally during that time as well. So not keeping things inside and talking about it. And so that goes to the external pressure too, is having these conversations with your parents or coaches or teammates about what is going on with you and not trying to always be so tough, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be vulnerable. Hopefully you're around people that you trust, but that you can be vulnerable with and say, listen, I'm really hurting or I'm scared or I'm frustrated and being able to articulate those things, um, stuffing it is only gonna make it worse. Um, So a big piece of it, I guess, is communication with yourself and communication with the folks on the outside, but you've gotta be honest with yourself so that you can then be honest with the people that are on the outside. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And, and the people that really are supportive and care about you are going to listen to you. Yeah. Um, if they don't, if you have a coach who's pressuring you, I'm always like, welcome to being, you better be willing to advocate for yourself and stick up for yourself because the coach wants to, needs to win to keep their job. And so their best interest isn't you necessarily. Um, For the most part, I'm just being honest. And so you've got to be the, you're the only advocate is for yourself. Mm -hmm. I tell people that all the time. Like if you don't, if you don't stick up for you, who will? Yep. You know, like we, I don't know. I've had three ACLs. I don't know what your ACL injury rehab feels like. I I don't know. Um, And that, that coming back to playing, you know, that return to sport is so so interesting, so delicate, but so um, tough to manage because you can feel really great one day and the next day you can't. And how, you know, how do you bring up those conversations or how do you tell athletes that, you know, if they don't feel good, it's okay to say, I can't train today. Yep. So here's what I always say. You say no today or you're gonna, your body's going to tell you no for the next month. Mm-hmm. So take one day or it could potentially be a week, two, day, two weeks, three weeks. So are you willing to gamble mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Or are you going to do the, um, you know, basically delay gratification to have the, you know, take the one day so you can have many days. Um, and are you willing to play basically Russian roulette with that? Cause that's what you're playing. Are you willing to gamble? Are you a gambler? Um, so it's just breaking it down to them, especially younger athletes yeah. where you're like, and like, it's one day it's today, or it could be another month. Right. What are you, are you going to tempt that? Um, and it is, it's trying to be more logical when you're very emotional. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, find helpful is like to tell athletes that it's okay to feel nervous to go talk to your coach to say something about how you feel to someone because if if you didn't feel that nervousness then maybe you're not doing the right thing right like um saying hey coach like I actually I I'm nervous to say this because I don't want you to think that I don't want to play or Mm -hmm. hey mom and dad like I don't know how to say this because I just don't know really what I'm feeling or, or how to express it correctly, but I feel like um, I feel like I'm nervous. I won't get a college scholarship, but I also don't want to push back too soon to get back to playing. You know, um, that acknowledging that feeling of nervousness or hesitation or something's not right is is powerful. Yeah, and the more descriptive you can be, the more the, there's nothing worse. Well, when you say, "Well, what are you talking about?" and you're like, "I don't know." And I'm like, say something that what you just said is I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm frustrated. Something's not quite right. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you say, I don't know, what do we do with? I don't know. If you don't know, then how do you know you can't play? So I'm always said, I know you're scared. So a lot of times I'm like, well, do you not know? Because really not knowing is I'm scared to say, which is different than not knowing. Mm -hmm. So also being careful as an athlete is make sure you say how you're feeling. You might not know specifically. You can just say something's not right. Something's off. Something's uncomfortable. Um, I, I feel as though if I take another step or if I push today, I'm going to do something, maybe do another body part. Like yeah. that's what happens too, where we overcompensate for things. Um, and so I think if you're better at articulating at least how you're feeling emotionally, um, that helps. But the I don't knows is what gets... I find my athletes in trouble. Yeah, you get in this like in between. Well, 
If you don't know, I don't know how to help you. Exactly. Right. Uh I think the other thing, Jordan, with this is that when people say take a day off, I think we have to differentiate between take a day off physically and take a day off completely, like altogether. Like you can take a day off physically and still be completely psychologically um, tapped in and get a lot out of watching practice or helping uh, your teammates, um, tactically making sure you're very aware of what's going on strategy wise. So Mm -hmm. you can take a physical day off and not really be taking the day off. And I think that's, that's the thing that people, that athletes have to understand is you don't have to take the day. You just physically are taking the day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that allows you to have greater insight that is going to help you down the road. Um, when you, when you are full go, because you have, because your brain's a muscle. So don't let your, your brain atrophy. So make sure it's keep working. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit, um, a couple of weeks ago when we chatted is that idea of, um, staying in, you know, yes, it's important maybe to take some time away from your sport, but why it is so important to go to training, to watch your team, um, and kind of what you just said. And there's so much you can learn from a different perspective. And, um, I think actually injury in general is just teaching you different perspective. Yep. I think, uh, I always say, how do you make a superstar athlete less than super is you keep them away from their sport for more than three weeks. So I used to say injure an athlete. Well, the smart injured athletes are going to take about three weeks and maybe get just away for a little bit, but then they're going to come back and they're diving in into the psychology of sport, the tactics of sport, um, maybe helping their teammates grow or being involved in the back end of, of their, of their team. Um, they can still help with the team dynamics and the team leadership components of their sport. Um, but that's how you make someone less than good because after three weeks, your brain starts to atrophy, your mind starts to atrophy. And so how do you make someone less than great is you keep them away from their sport because even the best athletes on the planet are going to come back and not be nearly as good if they're not watching their sport, hearing their sport, feeling their sport, so to speak. Um, and that, and that's crucial and critical. And even though it's gut wrenching sometimes to have to sit there and watch, you have to keep reminding yourself that if I stay engaged, if I'm purposeful in how I'm paying attention to this practice or listening to my teammates and coaches, I'm almost getting as much out of this practice as if I was playing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes more because you are looking at it from a different perspective and picking up different skills. It's just not the physical skills. And it's uncomfortable, but I think that this whole process is uncomfortable. When you're injured, it's uncomfortable. And that's mm-hmm. where the growth comes. Like you you have to sit there and say, yes, this this is painful because I cannot play. Like it hurts my heart that I can't be out there helping my team. But would it be better for me to, would I feel better if I just sat here and wallowed or if I felt like I did one thing, I told somebody that this ball ball was on or this pass was good or um, that this defender only likes to defend this way. And I gave somebody something that helped us perform better. Like you're, you're picking how you can almost keep yourself engaged in that team, how you can keep yourself as a productive member of whatever team or squad you're with. Right. And that's why if any coaches are listening right now, why it's so important to give those roles to their, to their players. Um, A lot of times we just push the injured, so-called injured off to the side. 
Um, and I almost like rather than saying injuries, you know, I like the pup, the, una the unable to perform, but unable to perform physically today doesn't mean that you're not a member of the team and that you can't still help us. So giving not go pick up the balls, but, you know, give give players that are unable to physically perform that day, give them something that is meaningful, give them something that if they weren't there, this wouldn't get done and isn't really, really important. And, and, and make sure you share that value with the team and thank them. Um, just as you would as if they had played in practice that day. So for coaches, like just don't push them off to the side because in the long run you're hurting the team and your yourself as well by doing that. And it's going to take longer for them to get back to play because they're going to feel less than and not tied to anything and their recovery is going to be slowed. And words are powerful. Yep. And just using the word injured or um... – I just remember in college when I was injured for two and a half years, I, I just remember that word just starting to like define me in a way. And I went to, I went up to my coach and I said, we can't, we can't use that anymore. Like if we're not, if we're the players that aren't playing, I'm happy to help, but I can't be called injured because I can't let that define, you know, keep getting into my brain. You talk about your brain and the pathways and, um, if I hear that all the time, then I'm going to start to believe it. And it's not true. Like I'm, I'm getting back to health. I'm not injured. So it's like the pup list, right? So that's the NFL. So players unable to perform, but I'm changing it to players unable to physically perform yeah. because this, that's doesn't mean there's not this whole other world for mm -hmm. you. And that matters because now you're thinking to yourself, okay, I can't physically perform today. And we all know that, but that doesn't mean there's not this whole other world over here. Yeah. That I still do. Yeah. Um, and it does. Then you're not walking around because, you know, the injured. Oh, we're the injured. And they start naming themselves and it becomes like a club. Like it's cool. It's fine to be part of the ACL club. It is not OK to like just hang out and totally disengage yeah. during practices and laugh and not and, and actually take away from yourself and your team. You know, so. Well, it's it's unfulfilling, too. It might feel like it's fun in the moment, but that's not going to give you the same feeling as it is to be engaged with your team, which yeah. is what you miss the most. I think one of the most when you're injured. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. I remember what I was going to say earlier and it was all about, okay. about communication. So funny that I couldn't remember to communicate when I needed it is, you know, there's so many things happening when you're uh, away from sport and returning after an injury. And it just keeps coming up in my when I'm reading or talking to someone is that I feel like communication could be the most important thing in the whole process. Mm -hmm. Education's key. Uh, I think the, the at doctor to the athlete, mm -hmm. uh, that the trainer, the physical therapist, um, communicating with the coach and making sure everyone has the same information and it's all different. I find a lot of issues arise in athletic programs on college campuses because everyone is so isolated. Like we need a team of people around that athlete that mm -hmm. they trust. That's how you're going to get an athlete to be able to mentally, emotionally, you know, all those things respond to an injury is when they're well-educated, when you're being honest and truthful, don't lie. If you don't think they're going to be back, don't lie. If you don't think they're making this timeline, don't lie to them because that's the worst. Um, and so it's about like everyone having the same information, not you have a little bit, I have a little bit, coach has a little bit. Everyone needs to be like on the same page, speaking the same language. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is being honest, mm -hmm. even though it might hurt initially. 
Um, and then also making sure that people are being told, even if you know, they don't want to hear it. So a coach might not want to hear that you're going to be out another three weeks, but coach needs to hear you're going to be out another three weeks. I mean, they need to hear that. So, yeah, I think, uh, Susan Scott wrote something called fierce conversations and it's a great book. I use it a lot. I I talked about it at the United soccer coaches convention. Um, I use it a lot with the colleges um, and, and families that I work with, um, and you hear fierce and you might think it's a battle and it's, it shouldn't feel, it shouldn't be a battle. If you're having a fierce conversation, it really starts with yourself being true to yourself and being honest about what the issue is. Mm-hmm. And it takes you through, it even gives you like a template for a one minute opening statement. So if you have to talk to your coach and you're nervous, you can just write out, it shouldn't take more than a minute and you should be able to get everything out very clear. Um, that you, that you're trying to say, because a lot of times we try to put fluff around it or we try to like put, you know, fluffy bunnies and rainbows and cotton candy around (laughs) it, try to ease the blow when I'm like, just cut to the chase. What are you really trying to tell me? Um, and a lot of times like with doctors, they don't want to hurt the athlete. So they put all this flowery stuff around it and then you're, you're, they don't hear what you're really trying to get across to them. Right. Um, and so I think she does a really good job of, um, one, it helps you dive into your own morals, ethics, values. And then secondly, it really, you know, it, it starts to break down why communication is difficult and how to have good conversations because they should be face to face. We communicate all day. We text. We do all these things. But conversation is different than communication. Conversation is face-to-face, making eye contact, being able to read body language, all of that kind of stuff. Communication is the form to get information out. But that's different because conversations are relationships. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking to people face-to-face, then you're not in a relationship. You don't have a relationship with that person. So if you're not sitting down and talking to your coach, you don't have a relationship with your coach. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to that, what we were talking about earlier about you, you're your only advocate, right? Um, your coach doesn't know where you're at. Your coach has probably seen people go through injuries that you've been through and they have, you know, this preconceived timeline in their brain, but timelines are kind of just there as a guidance. They are like, I am so, I'm a very like anti-timeline kind of person because yeah. everybody is so different in, um, the way that they their body recovers and it can you know it's due to a lot of different factors but um if your coach doesn't understand where you're at and you don't have that conversation then they're going to expect something out of you right and you have to I think one of the biggest things you learn in an injury that is very very transferable to just life is that um you have to you have to grow up and get in those situations where you are uncomfortable, have those conversations that might not go the way that you want them to go, but you have to do it for yourself and say like, I'm number one here. Um, because if I play today, I don't think I'm going to be able to play for a while. Yep. So having the conversation never makes it worse. Never. I, I do this exercise with athletes all the time where they have to go home over break or whatever and have a fierce conversation with either a family member, a teammate, a coach that they should have had and haven't had. And we always debrief and there hasn't been one athlete in all the hundreds of times we've done this that has come back and said it's worse. They always say it's gotten better. Mm-hmm. It might not get better, but it's not going to make it worse. And the one thing that is going to make it better, at least you know, they know what you're feeling or thinking. And Um, so having the conversation is always better. Not having it is always going to make things worse. 
because your coach or whoever you need to have the conversation with is not a mind reader. Um, and so we're sabotaging them by not giving them our information because we're honestly the only ones that can tell them how we're thinking, feeling. Um, and so we, you don't sabotage the people around you, give them the information. They may not respond the way you would want initially, but having it will always be better than not having it. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. I, I love that. And I, I, you know, thinking back as you're talking about that, I would agree with just the conversations that were hard for me and how much better things were after I had them. Um, so that's, I, I love that. Is there now, I know you are, you definitely specialize in more of like the, the performance side of things. So when athletes are back, um, have you noticed kind of some things that are that maybe you teach during injury recovery that then is helpful for um, when they're back in in sport and playing and you know it's still like it or not it's still very like that like up and down when you're injured it's up and down when you're playing it's up and down so how how do you help athletes stay um, as level as possible uh, well, it's also understanding. <laughs> I think so many people come back and they're like, I'm not confident. And I'm like, well, no kidding. You're not confident. Confidence comes from practice and preparation and you haven't been able to practice <laughs> and you can't trick it. So no, you're not going to be confident. That doesn't right. mean you still play well or do great things or get back into the groove. It's, it's managing their expectations. So I'm always like the standard should stay the same. That's giving a hundred percent of what you got, managing your body language and communication and then your attitude, which is how you respond to good and the bad things. Those are the things that are your standards and we can grade you on your standards from the moment you get back or for any kind of rehab that you're doing or PT, we can grade you on those things. In terms of your expectations, geez, I don't know. That's why I don't like the word potential because potential is if everything in the world aligns perfectly, this is what you could look like. Well, nothing ever aligns perfectly. So potential is this abstract thing floating up in the sky. So my thing is the expectation is, um, you know, controlling the things you can control, which we just talked about, taking care of yourself off the field. So it's really knowing yourself. Who am I? It's having your support system in place where you emotionally can talk through things that you're struggling with um, and not bottling that up or putting on something called like a professional mask, feeling like you can really be you, making sure you're sleeping, eating correctly, hydrating correctly. Um, and then if you're controlling those things off the, off the, out of sport and you're controlling the things in sport, now let's see what your excellence is. So every day it's like having those, like, what are your expectations today? We got to temper that because I want to look at like how you're doing. Um, but everyone's like, well, I'm not getting to my potential. And I'm like, well, what the heck does that even mean? (laughs) Um, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have struggles. You can't control a lot that's happening in sport. So again, it doesn't mean you don't have to have. You're not going to be upset maybe with your performance that day, but then how are you going to respond? How are you going to wrap your head around that? What kind of process goals are you going to make for yourself that are realistic, um, attainable? Um, and again, a lot of it is if you're playing a team sport, it's, it's easier because you can pour into your teammates and you can have a lot more impact that way. You know, if you're a golfer, it's harder. What are you going to do? Chest bump a, you know, a, a tree? <laughs> like, it's, it's hard for that. But again, it's, it's maintaining your standards, but understanding expectations can change day to day, depending on how your body is responding. Mm -hmm. One of the things that sticks out is just the, you know, controlling what you control can control is a really big, 
um, aid in performance. And I know that we had talked about this, about, um, you know, you talk about nutrition, you talk about hydration and sleep and how those things are so important. But one of the things that you had told me before is how detrimental alcohol is to um, an athlete, but all, you know, also an and even more so an injured athlete who's recovering from something. Yeah. The only time your body really rejuvenates and heals itself is when it's sleeping. And if you have alcohol in your system, when you're sleeping, you don't really get to those REM cycles. And if you're not getting to those REM cycles then you're not getting into the healing stage. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times we think rehab is for healing. Rehab is prepping our bodies to get ready for sleep so that our bodies can heal and rejuvenate. So that's why like pro athletes, a lot of times are sleeping 10 to 13 hours a day. And we're all like, oh man, I wish. And I'm like, well, sometimes that's hard for them, you know, but that you got to get on a good sleep routine and a sleep cycle and all that kind of stuff. But that's why there's these sleep pods now that LeBron James and Ronaldo have in their houses. travel with them on their planes, you know, cause we all have private planes because <laughs> that's how important their sleep is. Um, all the Olympic stuff that's happening right now. I just saw a special on the N- NBC sports and it talked about sleep and, um, you're, you're, if you get seven or less hours of sleep, you're 90% more, um, a higher likelihood of being injured. Oh. So if you get seven or less hours, um, 90% chance more, um, of getting injured. If you're emotionally not taking care of yourself, the healing process really slows and, or you're setting yourself up for a re-injury. Uh-huh. Um, and cause our bodies are amazing creatures. Like our bodies are amazing machines and they can deal with a lot, but not chronic stress. Uh-huh. So our bodies basically are going to say, if you don't start to take care of yourself emotionally, I'm going to stop or slow you down. And that's often where the non-contact injuries come into play. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the alcohol, whether you like it or not, it's it's a it's a it's a chemical that we're putting in our bodies, and our bodies don't respond to it very well. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that we uh, that alcohol is legal and marijuana is not, and we that's a whole other topic for another day. But alcohol is way more detrimental than legalized medical marijuana yeah. in terms of injury, but. I mean, I know for me, it was a big factor in my first ACL. I had drank the night before, not over, you know, three, three beers, but I'm a woman and I'm, you know, I stayed out later and, um, I, after that, um, I never drank the night before I played soccer. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was not very often (laughs) because I was playing soccer a lot, but, um, that, that really stuck with me because I was like, well, that was a factor that I could have controlled. And that's really hard as an athlete when you know you could have done something, like honestly could have done something better, and I didn't do something better. Yep. And I think that's why you – I I think it's a contributing factor. We don't necessarily – I know you know and you've talked about why ACLs are so prevalent, but I really do think it's this – a big piece of it is the the growing stress that – people have or not able to manage anxiety as well or our perception of stressful situations and and how to have coping skills to manage with the ups and downs of life um but i think like oof the amount of drinking that's going on because they need it our kids need it today to be able to build relationships with each other because you know they're on their phones and that's how they usually communicate and so if they don't have their phones and they're out at a party the only way i feel like i can talk to someone is drinking and it's just stupid drinking. It's like 10 shots in an hour kind of drinking and blackout drunk kind of drinking. And then you're not sleeping. And when does this usually happen when you're a college athlete or a professional athlete is right after a game, which is the most important oh, night of sleep. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, 
So if, so if I was a college coach, there's no way I would let my team drink during season. Not yeah. that out of season shouldn't be managed, but I would never let a team drink during season. Yeah. Um, just because there's just too much evidence out there, what it will do to your bodies. Right. And, and I think that's kind of what, when we, when we talked about communication, you also talked about education. And I think that's something that can be better too, is just educating athletes why it is, you know, like you, you as a coach could say, you shouldn't drink kids. Like you we're not yeah. drinking, but then they're going to be like, no, I'm drinking. But if you explain why and say, Hey, if this is our goal, if we want to win the national championship, if we want to win our conference, then mm-hmm. we are going to train hard, but none our training is not going to be worthwhile. If we're not taking care of our bodies, if we're not sleeping, if we're not, um, providing it the right nutrition so there's so many things and I I just wanted to make sure we hit on those ideas of controllables and um you know unfortunately there's you're still playing a sport and um you could do everything right and things could go wrong and so many stories of where I'm just I feel in my heart so badly for like you like your body just could not keep up with what your heart and your mind wanted it to do. Like my potential, right? (laughs) (laughs) Your your heart and your mind were ready to be like the best superhuman athlete ever. And your body was just a little bit like, "Mm, I don't know about that. That's not exactly my plan for you right now. So, but it's, um, you know, you talk about the, the old person dying before injury and becoming someone different. And I honestly think that you're so you're so right in that, in that your injury, your struggle can be your platform and you can use it to either, um, imprison you, right. Or you can use it to stand on top of it and say, look what you can do too, because I did it. If I can do it, you can do it. Yep. It's how you take advantage of it. That's why I say it sucks. It hurts. It's painful. Life's not fair. I get all of it. Why some get hurt. Some don't, I don't know. It just is. It's the way our bodies are built or whatever, but, um, it's, it's, how do you take advantage of the time when you actually have more time to do other things like the psycho psychological part of sport or the emotion you taking care of yourself and your identity where you never, never would have slowed down long enough to do it during season. Or if you physically could go, cause it's easier. I think sometimes for athletes to pour into the physical and the technical because it's something you you see the growth and you can do it, but no one wants to deal with the emotional and the psychological stuff. No one does. And so I'm like, okay, well, guess what you have time for now. Now <laughs> you can become the most mentally tough, emotionally, like just consistent human on the planet. Yay. Fun times. But and if no you- one's going to notice it in, except for you internally. Well, they'll notice it eventually, but eventually. Yeah. So when you get back, watch out, but you know, <laughs> Um, but that's what you can do. I'm like, and listen, that's your only choice you have at this moment. What are you going to take advantage? Are you going to take advantage of the time that you have been given, so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, is up to you. Or are you going to waste this time? I mean, are you going to waste this? Because then you won't, you won't be, um, learning all the things you can learn and apply that when you get back. Right. So, no, that's great advice. And all, I mean, so many things I wrote down and, um, we, we covered a lot of topics and I, I, that's what I like about talking to you, Tiff, is like, we can go from here to there to everywhere. Um, but it's all so relevant. And I think that a lot of athletes, te- you know, teammates, coaches, parents, whoever listened to this, um, there's so many things to help them through what they're going through. So I just want to say thank you. And, you know, thank you for everything you continue to do in sport is 
just help athletes perform better and realize that it's not just the physical part of it. It's so much almost more mental. How, how can we allow our bodies to do what we know what we can do is by training the mind. And, and anyone who's listening, let's let's make sure we support what Jordan's initiative is here. I think it's so important. So doctors or athletic trainers or physical therapists, like this is something I would, if, if I was a doctor, a real doctor, an MD doctor, <laughs> um, this is something I would absolutely be having as a, a resource for my recovering um, athletes for sure. Uh, so please, if you're listening to this and this is a topic and you're dealing with a lot of these types of injuries, this is something that I think would be a great support for your athletes, um, and your clients and patients that could really help facilitate their, um, rehabilitation. So Jordan, thank you for doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. That was very nice of you. I wasn't lying when I told you that there was going to be a lot of information, really good information from Tiff. And there was, I hope you guys took some notes. Uh, Some of the things I took away from it was having fierce conversations. And I love that word fierce because I think it gives you a sense of, you can feel it in your bones. Like it's, it's a little scary, but it's also powerful. You feel a little empowered and by having those conversations and using the idea of educating the people around you, you, you're never going to make the situation worse. I liked also when she talked about confidence and how, when you're coming back, you want to be confident. And she said, confidence comes from practice and preparation. And so you're never going to be confident, right? When you're getting back onto the field, but that's okay. It's just managing your expectations that you're going to have standards and that's what you should be focused on, that you should give hundred percent of what you've got and keep your standards the same. And, and then expectations will start, start to drift away if you focus on your standards. Sleep, that's another thing that I really took away from this, how important it is to get sleep and feed your body right. Every little thing helps, and it's not only physically, but mentally as well. And then control what you can control, manage your attitude and your body language. These are all really helpful tips and actionable tips from Tiff. So. I just want to say thank you to her. Um, You know, she said that at the end, and to me, from someone I've known for a long time, a friend and someone I've looked up to, it's really nice to hear those words and hear what she, the impact she thinks I'm having on people's lives. So um, I want to hear from you guys too. I respond to everything. So um, unfortunately, I can't respond to iTunes reviews, but if, if you leave an iTunes review, email me with the subject iTunes review and you can do that at jordan at the aclclub.com and I answer every single email and if you send an iTunes review uh, if you do an iTunes review and then send me that email with iTunes review in the subject line I will send you a free gift from us at the ACL club and our friends from shop LeClay with a refocus band. So I thank you guys so much. I just want to hear from you. I love helping you guys through this process and I want to hear how and what has impacted you the most. I hope that you take some stuff away from this podcast and you go out there this week and you're grateful, but you attack it with that fierce attitude that Tiff talked about. Go out there and show your scars with pride.